The Mourner's Bench is brought to you by Theolab, a media collective committed to creating a more candid dialogue about spirituality, culture, and the world. Are you tired of the platinum racism plan to which you've been subscribed for the last four years? Are you ready to downgrade to the silver plan? You know, just the normal American racism. Well, you've come to the right place. Get in line behind us because we've been standing in line and camping out like we're waiting on the first iPhone since January 20th of 2017. Oh, they've just declared, uh, they've declared Pennsylvania for Biden officially. Shit. That means he shit, won, shit, right? Shit. That means he won. Really? Correct. Yeah. We're sitting here recording. He just won the presidency. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, you it just says said Joe Biden elected 46. <laughs> Joe Biden elected 46 president. <laughs> Oh hell! Oh hell! Oh shit! Yeah, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. Uh, I wanted. Woo! Who just so, did that? You sorry. did that. I did. Karen Teresa. <laughs> now we got to turn on Fox News. I'm looking them up. Fox News probably declared it five hours ago. Y'all just didn't <laughs> First ones to call Arizona. I'm telling you. Fox News said he'd been president. We just was waiting on y'all. Welcome back to the Mourner's Bench. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch or witch? Donald Trump, but not Mitch. Yet still, we will rejoice and be glad. But you can't guess what we're talking about on today's episode. Oh, silly rabbit, of course you can. We're talking about the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden's closing argument, and his call for unifying the country. We also get into whether or not unity is a remote possibility post-45. It's going to be a good one. We're excited about it. Let's get into it, y'all. We're back again with our election response episode. Just to be clear, this episode was recorded over the course of two or three sessions because we wanted to capture our emotions live and in living color over the course of the week that followed the election. So we'll try to be sure to contextualize all of our comments and let you know when each portion of the discussion was had, but follow along our journey and see if it reflects your own. It's been a hell of a week to say the least, and it seems like it's only just the beginning. So let's wrestle together with what it means to be faithful, human, whole, all of those things in the midst of our current political climate. So we had an election last week and I don't know, I think I've been on an emotional roller coaster ever since um, election night. For better and for worse, I stayed up all night looking at election returns. <laughs> I already knew that we weren't going to get results, but there's just something about the rhythm of sitting in front of the TV and seeing them call states that just feels like it's natural to do on election night. And it felt equally frivolous just to sit there and look at Netflix or <laughs> all night. So Adrian and I um, went back and forth between CBS, ABC, CNN, a little bit of Fox News just for balance to see how people were calling the election. I don't know. How are y'all feeling though on the other side of this? I think we've heard a lot of political commentary. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about how they feel in nuanced ways outside of anxious. So how are you all feeling and what did you, um, how'd you experience election night? You know, it was like watching the Super Bowl or the World Series for me. Like, I, I think I and every one of my family members were glued to the TV, uh, watching these results come in, hearing about exit polls. Uh, I, I 
I don't necessarily know if those things really, uh, if I believed most of those things, they really affected me in any significant way. Mm-hmm. But just like you, Brandon, it was interesting to watch to watch this process play out. Um, especially, I've been doing some some research about my family and through ancestry and all of this all this great stuff. Um, and so to to see how my ancestors were disenfranchised and couldn't vote. Uh, to see how those those community roles and census uh, were counting them, but they were also uh, really, they couldn't play a part in this democracy in this way. It was exciting to know that my whole family was going to the polls, was voting, and then to see these results come in and know that they played a part. Sitting up and watching the election night coverage has always been something that I've enjoyed a ton. And the last night was not like that for me. I was like stress eating and I sat there and watched for like an hour and a half of them talking about nothing. I mean, like, and it's going to be... Too close to call, which we all knew was going to happen. I love like the, I think on, on CNN, it was like, breaking news, special announcement. Yeah. Exactly. It's too close to call. <laughs> no one knows anything. <laughs> we, have a, we have a projection. Yeah, so after about an hour and a half, I was up in my bed, curled up in the fetal position. I was shocked. I'm, I'm sort of mad at myself and frustrated with myself for being shocked, but I was just shocked as to how many people were voting for Trump. It, it was another one of those times where I went through that wrestling, like at the first debate, I was like, oh my gosh, everything about what our country stands for, whatever that means, or just the decorum and the decency was gone. Mm. And as I was wrestling with that debate, I realized he's just showing us who the entire country is. And I think again, last night, it was just an overwhelming wash for me to see how committed my people are to white supremacy. And so that has been overwhelming that to me. Um, I've gone through a number of iterations of that today, but I think my initial thoughts were just feeling overwhelmed and angry. I mean, the majority of people do agree that we need to be doing something else. You can just look at the popular vote for that, but almost half the country is not only committed to white supremacy, but is willing to vote for it. And Half and, the country is like, fuck you, black people. Right, exactly. <laughs> fuck you, planet. <laughs> fuck you, health. Yeah. We want white supremacy. Right. The other thing that I think caused me a little bit of stress on election day is the um, fear that people who did choose to vote in person may encounter issues, particularly in our state of Georgia. Surprisingly, I didn't hear a lot about people who had issues when they were voting. The only thing that I heard that was challenging on election day was the water main break in Fulton County, um, which means about 200,000 ballots still haven't been counted, which makes me very hopeful for the outcome in Georgia. It's so, so, so close. Um, and Fulton County is black, like blackity black. Blackity black black. And so I'm hoping it's not that as black as DeKalb County though. Touche. And we said, but <laughs> right. right. So all these black areas, which we've seen, right? So the Republicans right. want to solidify the rural areas and then the black folks all have been focused into this or pushed into the cities. And we I just want to see what happens when the black folks end up having their ballots counted if Trump is unsuccessful in um, stopping them from counting votes, which is he which he's still trying to do. I think that's the main thing now post-election that still is causing me anxiety. It's the notion that, um, no, we didn't get a winner declared on election night. It's completely unreasonable to think that we would, but now we're in the political judicial battle around the election. That's still causing me a little bit of worry. 
Has he actually filed the paperwork to stop counting ballots? On Wednesday, he called for a recount in Michigan, I believe. It was Wisconsin. 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 Which it will. It's natural that it would happen regardless. Uh, they, I think they also filed some type of paperwork to try to stop ballot counting on Wednesday in Michigan. I was going to say, I think so. they're trying to stop ballot counting wherever they can, and they're calling for the votes to be recounted, which is just the first step in the process. There's already paperwork drawn up for Pennsylvania for them to file a lawsuit right. against the state, depending on how the results go. But, they, but they're only doing that in certain states because of the razor-thin margins in places like Nevada. They were saying, no, keep counting those votes, but stop counting in Michigan where, you know, Biden is clearly going to win. It's, it's absolutely insane. When you count Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I went into election night uh, prepared at, at least mentally for the fact that this was going to be a really close race. You know, I, we've been hearing for weeks, every, every single political commentator has said this is going to be litigated in the courts. The count is going to take a long time. It's going to be close. And that's exactly what happened. And in some ways, I think, I think that's remarkable that a lot of people, you know, really did kind of get that detail, right? That this race really is this close. And it's not, that's not a surprise to any of us. I knew that on an intellectual level last night, um, but watching returns come in on an emotional level struck me very differently. Um, knowing that this was going to be a tight race, I, I watched results come in. And I think the, um, the realization that this would not be a strong and kind of unequivocal rejection of Trumpism uh, was just so disheartening for me. I mean, I, I don't know how else to, to say that. And um, it's weird. I, I can't say that I'm surprised by it, but I, I think just the, the weight of that experience uh, has continued to, to just sort of hit me um, in, in these days after the election. Yeah, Van Jones had a quote last night where he said, Biden may have a political victory tonight, tomorrow, next week, um, but America lost... A, more, a chance for a moral victory. There is no moral victory here. I think so many people, perhaps so many white folks and white adjacent folks, wanted this to be a clear and sweeping sort of repudiation of the racism that we've seen in the last four years, at least in a very public way. Um, and yeah, I mean, and I wanted that too. I don't think I was quite hopeful for it. So like, I think the whole time I was waiting on it to break for Trump. I was waiting on not just a red mirage, but a sweeping victory yeah. by Republicans. Yeah. And I had prepared my spirit, my soul for that. Um, and I think waking up the day after the election, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't going to be that bad. Maybe this will be all right. But still this sort of notion that we can have the most blatantly racist, sexist, homophobic, inconsistent, unqualified leader in the White House and to see that for four years and to see how um, that leader handles a pandemic and to still have folks who say, at least half the country say, that's what we want. That's horrifying. Well, and it, it goes to show that, you know, Trump was not an aberration. Trump was not a mistake. Trump was not a sort of one-time small lapse in judgment on the part of the American people. But I think that there were some folks who really wanted to believe that given a four-year track record, given four years of, of Trumpism, you know, on full display, 
um, that people couldn't possibly continue to support that. And, and I think last night for me, the margin uh, uh, of, of the vote to me just demonstrates that it's yet another reminder. This is not a new realization, but it's yet another reminder of how deeply entrenched these issues are in our country. Uh, and the fact that half the people in this country still want Donald Trump to be president it just says way more about us as people uh, than it does about him, I think. I think it's a little more complex than that. I don't think that half, just half the people in the country are blatantly racist or half the people just want Trump to be president. And I think you see those nuances with Latin American populations in Florida, where you have folks who have histories of escaping governments in places like Venezuela or Cuba, who were a part of social socialist uh, governments and structures. And, and, and those lies and untruths that Trump hurled landed among some of them. It resonated among some of them that this is the world that Biden is trying to recreate. So I think there are some people who, and I'm not speaking for all people, but I do think that there may be a small number of folks who made some of their decisions not because they necessarily embraced Trump, um, because really Trump may have revealed a lot about himself, but he didn't reveal anything new about this country and about uh, a, a lot of the racist um, sentiments of folks in this country. <laughs> Listen, uh, he didn't reveal anything to me about this country. He didn't reveal anything to me either, but what he did highlight for me is that people are tired of being politically correct and that half of the shit that we've gotten to in the last, since the civil rights movement, I guess, has been a performance of political correctness and a fear of being shamed. And so I think what was revealed for me is just how much, or how I would phrase it, is just how much people desire to openly express their racism. Like at one point we had some sort of moral decorum. We had at least the notion that you can't say this shit in public. And now we're at a place where people are like, no, I actually want to say this in public. I don't care that you're filming me on camera where I'm saying that black people suck, that I hate black people, that yeah. all lives matter, that white lives matter, black lives don't matter, black lives. We, we have video after video after video of Karens and Kevins all over the country now blatantly in people's faces in the public sphere really assaulting people yeah. and so i think that's what was revealed to me is that people like that and people want to keep doing it that's that's what a vote for trump is I, so i also have been kind of following really closely um the racial breakdown of the vote in 2020 versus what it was in, in 2016 and a lot has been made of particularly Cuban Americans in Miami-Dade County. Um, I actually was, was looking this morning, um, the polling website 538 uh, did some research um, kind of leading up to the election. And they said uh, that they, they believed that Trump's support among uh, black Americans under the age of 44 has more than doubled from 2016 to 2020. That to me is, is a really remarkable statistic and it complicates to a certain extent this narrative of a vote for Donald Trump being an explicit endorsement of white supremacy. I do think that is a huge factor, of course. And I think you cannot talk about the rise of Donald Trump without acknowledging that. I, th there's just no way around that. But I, 
I do think also that there are a lot of folks who go to the ballot box and their first question is one of self-interest. I think if you view the act of voting as an act of self-preservation or of self-interest, then I think that really, that speaks to a, a deeper kind of heart issue that cannot and will not ever be addressed by a politician. I would say any black person who voted for Donald Trump is still voting for white supremacy, right? So I think that's the only way that I would nuance that a little bit further is to say, like Clarence Thomas has showed us for the last umpteen years that you can be black and be so committed to white supremacy and sustaining it and upholding it. And so for black men who voted for Trump, I would love to talk to some of you all. If you want to send us an email at what's up at the theolab.com, I would love to have you on and have a conversation in real life, and I ain't gonna bash you. I just wanna talk to you, bro, um, in real life. Bill Hooks names the system that we have imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, right? That's the interlocked, interlocked system of oppression that we're all battling. And so I think that's part of the question is, what are the values these black men who voted for Trump espousing and to what extent are those imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal ideas? I think that's homophobia. I think that's sexism. And all of those things, I mean, so white supremacy creates a hierarchy, creates a racial hierarchy, a gender hierarchy, a financial hierarchy. At the end of the day, what we had on the ballot was two choices of whiteness. We had racist, horrible, outspoken whiteness, and we had mediocre whiteness. I voted for the mediocre whiteness, but the reality is the Trump version of whiteness is the more pure version of whiteness. Mm -hmm. And we believe, like, it's a religion. We've been talking about how American democracy is a religion in and of itself. So whiteness is a religion. And if you worship at its throne, you believe that it's going to bless you. And black people can fall prey to that too. White women can fall prey to that as well. For all of the shit we had about white women who was like, oh my God, I'm so concerned about my babies because I don't want them to see the president calling people idiots and I don't let them talk like that. They, the margin that supported Trump for white women increased. It didn't decrease. We got to be careful not to scapegoat Trump um, because Trump is for Trump. Trump is for himself. He don't believe this shit he's saying. And he uses the dark underbelly of our culture and our society to propel him to his next victory. And so a lot of the language that we use with Trump at the center mm -hmm. is scapegoating him for the deeper issues that we have as a nation, as communities, as faith communities, as whatever type of communities. Uh, because, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was in fifth grade and one of my best white friend sat down next to me on the bus and told me that the NAACP stood for niggers, apes, alligators, coons, and possums. The black friend or white friend? A white friend. You have white friends? I had white classmates. <laughs> <laughs> remember, I'm from, remember, I'm from rural Alabama. You know, I grew up in the 90s where churches were still burned and defaced by white folks, black churches. And so I'm not trying to scapegoat Trump because I see Trump yeah, for who he is. I'm with you. Right? Trump is all for Trump. This shit is deeper than Trump. It's about who America is, who, Amer who America has always been. The reason I wasn't shocked. I guess because the election was so close to the election night is because they've been working for four years to make the election so close. Look at how the, the folks in Florida voted 
so that ex-felons could have the right to vote. And then they turn around and say, well, we're going to impose basically a poll tax and say that you have to pay all of these fees or all of your restitution before you can go vote. How many people did they disenfranchise? In Pennsylvania, in Michigan, they're, they're demanding that the postmaster general be called in because almost 40% of mailed-in ballots did not get delivered on time. Ever since Stacey Abrams lost, they have been creating blueprints all across the country to make sure that that the Democrats didn't run away with this election. And it worked. I do want to shout out Stacey Abrams because if Georgia does turn blue, I would like to say publicly, it is because of Stacey yep. Abrams. Absolutely. It's because of Stacey Laylene Abrams. I don't know your Absolutely. middle name, Stacey, but it's going to be Laylene it's today. Laylene today. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good spot for a break. Sing choir. ever needed confirmation that Brandon was an old white woman, there it is. <laughs> or that he was a homosexual. <laughs> Both ends. <laughs> so Biden's closing argument on the campaign trail was all about unifying the country and healing our divides and restoring the soul of the nation. I think for me, that's really challenging because I cannot imagine connecting with folks who have Trump signs in their yards. I cannot imagine coming together with folks who cast a vote for Donald Trump. And it's not because I don't want to believe that people can change. It's not because I don't want to believe people can grow. It's because it just doesn't feel safe. Maya Angelou says, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them and let it be the first time. Like I'm not about to sit here and subject myself to that. If there are other folks who want to go sit at tables and sing kumbaya that's good that's great but like for me personally coming together doesn't feel like it's possible uniting doesn't feel like it's possible so for y'all does that seem like it's a worthwhile goal does it seem like it's a possibility when i start hearing uh, this coming together language i mean kamala harris was saying that in the in the rally on sunday also i start i start um thinking about back in the day where the Presbyterians had this big, huge, um, uh, they spent $5 million getting people to come together to co- come up with a document. $5 million? Mm-hmm. Good Lord, that's a lot of money for a document. Right, the document that's all about unity and diversity. And really what it was, was code language for let's um, let's not ordain the gays, but but let's all be happy together. And anytime you wanted to say, anytime a queer person would want to be ordained, they would... Um, they would point to this person's inability to um, come together as um, in unifying. It was like peace, wow. peace at the expense of diversity. And so I'm not going to ask a black or brown person to come to a table when I know people are sitting here patting themselves on the back because we can get along with people across the aisle and really come up with nothing. I'm not going to ask somebody to sacrifice their life and their safety and their mental health. So I, I'm not a fan of the coming together. And that is a complete and total shift of how I have been in the world. I think the other thing about this is I saw a, a meme or on post on Facebook that said, doesn't matter who you voted for, um, you always have a place at my table. And, 
and I was like, nope, nope, nope. You don't have a place at my table. I, I can't do that anymore. But it, but for me, it it I started reflecting on whether or not I could even stand behind a communion table and break bread and hand it to someone who voted for white supremacy, who voted for um, for the crap that is happening now and has happened for years. Um, I don't know if I can do that. And, to, and so for me, I wrestle with whether or not I can even stand behind a communion table right now because I do not think I can offer the body of Christ to someone who doesn't think that I or my friends have a life that's worth living. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I don't know that I'm hopeful at all, but it's not as a result of this particular election, right? I actually think I think hope is a luxury that a lot of black people have given up on a long time ago in terms of unity or coming together in in certain ways. I mean, honestly, like we were we were fucking slaves. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> say it again for the people in the back. Say it again slaves. for slaves. Yes, sir. Do you understand? Uh-huh. Like, uh, it, it, to want me to have, to expect or to even think that I should be hopeful about a certain sense of unity before we deal with with that kind of original sin before we've never dealt with that ever you want me to be hopeful about coming together mm-hmm. and we still haven't dealt with that mm-hmm. the ramifications of that of that reality permeate our system our structure our society i ain't hopeful I'm hopeful for what I'm going to participate in a democracy. I'm going to go vote. But the reality is I am not at home. After generations of being in this country, I am not at home. And the reality is this country has been run by white men since they came and stole it from Native Americans. And so Trump, Joe Biden, I mean, for for a lot of black folks, this is par for the course. This is regular shit. Mm -hmm. This is Bush. This is Clinton. This is first Bush. This is Carter. This is every other year. Hopeful. Right. Yeah. Y'all let y'all white folks keep that hope. I don't think that Biden's closing message about unifying the country is possible. I mean, in part because I don't believe in unity. Mark (laughs) Anthony Neal um, has a book called New Black Man. In the book, he talks about a quote from one of his mentors and his mentor used to always say, unity is myth, solidarity is strategy. It's like Mm. what I do believe in is the possibility of building solidarity and then figuring out how we advocate for one another, show up for one another when it matters. I believe in building solidarity, but unity is bullshit. And unity is a middle of the road strategy that is about trying to create or foster peace. The opposite of war isn't peace, it's creation. And so peace is Mm. never the goal. Restoring, reforming, getting back to some old version of ourselves is not the point because if we went back to an old version of ourselves, that version has the original contradiction that says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal in one breath and in the next breath, people saying, can you count our slaves as Mm three-fifths of a person so we can keep our power and we can keep being represented in a 
equal way. And and there's a reality, and I think about I think about a quote from King when he talked about integration, and he talked about believing in integration during a time of segregation, and he said, but integration, true integration, is integration with power. I think a lot of people who talk about unity really need to define what they mean by unity, because true unity is going to mean that those with power, those with privilege, have to give up something. And when the rubber meets the road, and when we come down to the real conversation about what that looks like, I think a lot of folks who are talking about unity will be unwilling to give up or to sacrifice what is necessary to achieve that real reality. So I, I think I come at this question a little bit differently than, than you all do, and I need to interrogate a little bit more why that is. But I, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just the inevitability of our life together. We are all in this space at this time. We share this country. We share this land. We share this past. We share these resources. We share a future. We just do. We will always, we will always be sharing this life together. And so if we accept that fact, I think the question becomes less focused on how we overpower or overcome one another and more how we reform this life that we share together. I do think, Sam, the, the point you made a minute ago about what unity really means is, is really important. When I hear Joe Biden talk about unity, the thing that comes to mind for me is that different people hear this in very different ways. So I think some folks just want to have a kind of unity where, oh yeah, we're all fine, sing kumbaya, eat some cookies, we're all good. I think there are other people who say, no, you cannot have a sense of connection when there is no justice. You cannot build a community without the foundation of, of justice. And I think we as a country have a lot of work to do to clarify that point. I do think we're right to strive for unity. And maybe this is ignorant. Maybe it's narrow-minded. I would like to think that it's aspirational. I would like to think that it's rooted in my understanding of who God is and how God is working in the world. But I do still yearn for unity. And I do still think it is possible. I just think that justice has to come first. And I think to the extent that we want to believe that unity is possible without justice, we are necessarily on a fool's errand. But I do still have hope that one day this country will not continue its racist past. I, I, I do hope one day that people can be different from one another in their views and their appearance and their background and their aspirations and that we still might be one people. That sounds so quaint and it, it, it sounds so ignorant, but I view it frankly as an act of faith, as a belief in things not seen. And I just think if we accept the truth that we have to do this life together, then at the end of the day, we have no other choice. The phrase that sticks with me is the inevitability of our lives together. Social location matters in terms of how that's said and heard. I sit here and I think, no, our lives aren't inevitably supposed to be together. Or the way in which they're together right now wasn't inevitable, but we became together. And this is a fresh thought, so let me just ramble for a second to try to put it down on paper. We got to the place where our lives are like this because white folks said it's inevitable that some of us are going to be smart and others are going to be dumb. Some of us are going to be owners, some of us are going to be owned. And so our lives actually aren't inevitably supposed to be together. If we think that they are, we can't divorce that from the historical context and the way that they became together. 
what's at stake in holding on to a notion of togetherness uh, or, or the inevitability thereof. That's part of what I'm trying to interrogate. I'm going back to the reconstruction. Black folks, we get post-slavery and black folks are like, thank you for leaving us the fuck alone. We're going to go over here and we're going to build our own schools. We're going to build our own churches, build our own communities, build our own Wall Street, build our own shit, take care of ourselves and not worry about y'all. We just want you to leave us the fuck alone. We're going to elect our own politicians, build our own infrastructure. And all we want y'all to do is leave us alone. And white folk got mad at that. And because they thought it was inevitable that our lives had to be together, they came and terrorized our shit and tore it all down. And we have the civil rights movement. And black folks, once again, were just trying to not be killed, to not be hosed down. We just want you to leave us alone. We just want equal access. We just want equal rights. And please leave us the fuck alone. And the moment that we make advances and the moment that we get to the place where it feels like black folks have gotten anything, this notion of an inevitable life together comes in and fucks up our communities. We get to a place where we elect the first black president of the country. And I'm not somebody that romanticizes that and says that that's the best thing that could have happened for black people, but it happened. And at least symbolically, that was powerful. And in some ways for me, Barack Obama sitting in the White House is the ultimate symbol of America's commitment to this notion that we inevitably belong together. Fine, you won't leave us the fuck alone. So we're gonna buy into your system. We're gonna play by your rules. We're gonna elect the most articulate, most intelligent, finest black man to the highest office in the land. And maybe now you'll leave us the fuck alone. And then these motherfuckers go and elect Donald motherfucking Trump. There's a point in my life where I would have agreed with that. And I think it harkens back to Christian themes and it harkens back to the creation myth and it harkens back to what I learned in Sunday school. And it har- it, 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 it's there. Where I'm sitting right now is in a place of cognitive dissonance because that language, unchecked, unquestioned, assumes so fucking much. And I've assumed it. I still want to assume it. But I guess for me, the challenge is my hope comes in being left the fuck alone. I don't want to be with you because at the end of the day, every single time, oh God, every single time, that we try to do that, it doesn't bode well for our communities. So I don't want to be together. I just want to be left. They've called Arizona officially. Is it two sixty four? Not on the screen behind you, but this is on CNN the, can be slow. Well, well, I'm on Fox News. I trust them now. <laughs> That's what I told you yeah, that 10 minutes ago. I know, I know, I know, they, I, called I, it, they called it at 11 o'clock last night. I know, That's but not I, a joke. I, I thought that it was is New York. not a joke. I thought it was New York Times. I was on the wrong website. <laughs> but sorry. But it was Fox when I looked at the browser. I'm sorry. Come together. <laughs> right now. Today.
today we're introducing a new segment that I'm calling the altar call. The altar call is a recent historical phenomenon in some Christian churches wherein people are invited to make a new spiritual commitment to Jesus. Some might say to accept him as their personal Lord and Savior. Those who want to do this are always invited to the front of the sanctuary to sit and or kneel at the altar on the anxious seat or, you guessed it, the mourner's bench. But in many ways, we're actually having a reverse altar call of sorts. See, we aren't going to invite anyone to make a new spiritual commitment to Jesus. We don't care who you worship. We don't care who you serve. We're not going to sing the chorus of Just As I Am 27 times until somebody finally walks down the aisle to make it all end. We're skipping the emotional and spiritual manipulation part and jumping straight to actively placing people on the mourner's bench. No manipulation, just sheer unadulterated force. And again, we're not inviting them to accept Jesus. We're just inviting them to be better humans, to be less stupid, to be less bigoted. So friends, the time has come and the hour is nigh. So Sam has the first one, but there's a clip we need to play for you first. We break and divide every demonic confederacy against the election, against America, against that who you have declared to be in the White House, directed specifically at the six states. We come against people that are working in high levels right now. Angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. They're coming here in the name of Jesus from South America. They're coming here. They're coming here from Africa, from South America. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. And pika hata anda ata ora for I hear the sound of victory. I hear the sound of victory. I hear the sound of victory. <laughs> that was Pastor Paulo White Kane, who used to pastor this majority African-American congregation without walls in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. And she's speaking in this broken, crazy tongue. Rah, ta, 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 that is not, that was ta. not tongues. I don't know what that was. <laughs> she it was sounded sh- like she a bad was... alternator on a car. <laughs> 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 Man, you need to fix your alternator. It sounded like a baby trying to learn how to speak for the first time. <laughs> what you saying? And she says, God is sending angelic forces from Africa, nope. angelic forces from South America, nope. I guess to give Trump sweeping victory. We putting this white woman on the bench because I don't know what has. I had an interesting conversation last night about this, and a friend of mine says we can't just put Paul on the bench. Mm -hmm. We got to put the person who gave her the platform on the bench. (laughs) Actually, would be TD Jakes. Oh, and I took issue with that. I took issue with that in some ways because we too quickly pivot away from whiteness to condemn Mm. the blackness that has been affected by this larger white system. Mm. T.D. Jakes may have given her a platform and affirmed her theology. I'm not saying he doesn't have agency, but whiteness is is also responsible for T.D. Jakes' shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it it, it goes way beyond that, but we're going to stay on Paula right now. Pressure claim. We're going to stay on Paula (laughs) in that shit that she did. She is on the bench, and she is not coming off the bench. She is on the bench for the next year and a half. Yeah, that was horrible. I'm trying to figure out how she's going to summon angels from the African continent when Trump's done banned half the countries on the continent. Like, so you want the angels, but not the people. So we getting shithole angels? 
<laughs> like, I was, like why, are we, why are you summoning shithole angels? You know? <laughs> she could have at least said, Tamayella Botai is coming in a Honda. She could have faked that thing. Leaving in a Mitsubishi. She could have tried to say something. Get on the bench. This is, what's sad is this is a woman that was propelled to the level of notoriety by black people by Bishop Jakes, by a black congregation in Tampa, Florida, and now she's summoning angels from Africa to have Trump re-elected. That thing broke wow. my heart. But she's permanently on the mourner's bench for me. Somebody needs to get a lap cloth and lay her at the altar. I'm just like, <laughs> if, if God, God, if you can't fix it, just, just take her out. If God don't do it, it won't get done. Who else uh, is on the bench? When you asked us to put people on the bench, you said that we're going to step off the bench for a little bit and and give others our seat. I I I told you I could pedally do that, but not theologically. I, I think that you think it too hard, girl. I know, but I I can't take myself off the bench ever. But I would like to invite. Um, the white do-gooder liberal Presbyterians to join me on the bench. We are so happy about pictures that make us look like we have diversity. We are so happy that we can put rainbow stickers on the back of our cars and say that Black Lives Matter, but we don't actually work for it. Why are you going so hard? She said, I, I can't put no better on the bench. I can't possibly put... It's not part of my theology. I'm putting these white Presbyterians <laughs> on the bench with your bumper stickers. Damn, girl. Put them on the bench. Keep going. I said I was sitting on the bench with them, but, yeah. but we got work to do. We can't but, say that we're there but that's, and not be there. <laughs> but that's what happens in the church, right? Especially in the Black Baptist Church. Oftentimes, you don't go sit on the bench by yourself. You, somebody yeah. goes Somebody with you. grab your you hand. That mother yeah. grab your hand and lead you to the bench because she sees something in you that need to put your ass on that bench. Come on, baby. I, that's, that's when the pastor say, look at your neighbor and say, <laughs> <laughs> go sit on the bench. Are you scared? <laughs> Grab my hand. Grab my hand. I'll walk with I'll you. Come with you. <laughs> Katie, is, Katie is now the church mother. That's evangelism. She's evangelizing white Presbyterians and whiteness. Malcolm, who are you putting on the bench? I would like to nominate. Uh, do you nominate? <laughs> I, no. <laughs> For this bench election, <laughs> it's not going to take a lot of counting. <laughs> no, because black people doing these votes. <laughs> I would like to walk down to the bench hand in hand with Ronna McDaniel, mm. chair of the Republican National Committee. Miss mm-hmm. McDaniel on Fox News, no less, mm. last night claimed widespread voter fraud and she got called out on Fox News. Wow. That claim was too ridiculous for Fox News to let it go unchecked. So Brett Baer said, Miss McDaniel, what what evidence do you have of widespread voter fraud? And she said, well, we don't have any, but give us time because we'll find it. <laughs> we'll create some. No, no, she, liter- she literally she said She literally that? said- Those are her exact words. She literally said- Give us time to produce specific claims. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I literally, you just acknowledged that all of this is complete bullshit, that you got no evidence that she, I mean, she went on TV to say that and Fox News wouldn't even let her get past that. So Miss McDaniel, come on down, sit on the bench. I hope the spirit moves you.
I need a bigger bench. I think I need a stadium. I need a whole church because I'm placing on the bench the 10,216 people in the state of Tennessee who voted for Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye. Uh, <Yeezy>. Kanye. <laughs> there were nine people on the ballot. Kanye came in fourth. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> He came in fourth. <laughs> Nearly 3,000 of those people were from my city, Nashville, Tennessee. I need all 10,216 of y'all to come sit on this bench and repent for your soul. Salvation is at stake. Don't ever vote for Kanye because Kanye don't love nobody but himself. And Lil Wayne? I ain't talking about Lil Wayne. That ain't my business. <laughs> or, or Ice Cube. <laughs> Lil Wayne and Ice Cube, y'all get on the bench. Actually, <laughs> along with these 10,216 voters, Lil Wayne, Ice Cube, Kanye, y'all sit your ass on the bench too. These Presbyterians are going to have a hard time. Because <laughs> <laughs> all the black people. <laughs> <laughs> but if we put them all in the same place, then it's going to be like 6% of the Presbyterians. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. If you're liking what you hear, go ahead and show us some love by hitting that subscribe button up top and leave us a little review too if you like. You can also head on over to patreon.com slash the lab and send us a little monthly love offering. All offerings are welcome. We've got another second pour coming at you this week because these times most certainly call for second pours. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> we'll see y'all on Thursday. Until then, keep your head up. So where can I downgrade my racism plan? What you mean this ain't the right line? I've been here since 2017. You about to trade, the, you about to downgrade this plan today.